0: Dr. David Banner, physician, scientist, searching for a way to tap into the hidden strengths that all humans have. Then an accidental overdose of gamma radiation alters his body chemistry. And now when David Banner grows angry or outraged, a startling metamorphosis occurs. Pursued by an investigative reporter. Mr. McGee, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. The creature is wanted for a murder he didn't commit. David Banner is believed to be dead. And he must let the world think that he is dead until he can find a way to control the raging spirit that dwells within him. to another episode of FW Presents, the anthology show for the Fire & Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Kelly, and uh, once again, I'm here with another installment of Find Your Joy. That is the ongoing series uh, featuring various hosts from the Fire & Water Podcast Network, where we talk about a comic book, movie, TV show, album, some piece of entertainment that uh, particularly brings us joy. And uh, for this episode, I'm here to talk about The Incredible Hulk number 2, No, not the comic book. The Incredible Hulk number two... Pocket Books paperback uh, Which came out in 1979 Now uh, of course Most of you know that I am A particular fan of different comic book Formats. I have a whole show devoted to the Treasury format which is uh, Treasury cast Shag and I do Digest cast And lord knows if I had the time I would do A whole separate podcast just on the Black and White magazine line of like Marvel And Warren and stuff like that Um, Maybe someday. But uh, but no I love Comic books in, in different formats There's just something about taking the medium of the floppy book and then translating it into something else that I just find so fascinating. And so uh this book I said it's it's part of a line of uh, pocket books put out uh, again by the company called Pocket Books um reprinting Marvel uh stories classic Marvel comics. Uh this series started in 1975 uh, Pocket books is a division of Simon and Schuster by the way. They ran from 75 to 1980. There were collections of Spider-Man Two Hulks, Fantastic Four, Doctor Strange, Captain America, and Spider-Woman, showing you they're really trying to get Spider-Woman out there. And uh, the, the reason this book is so particularly beloved to me is sort of how I got it. And and that is a little bit of a story in that when I was in, I think it had to have been third grade, if, if memory serves. Um, when I was at Johnson School Elementary in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, they had scholastic book fairs. I don't know if they still do those. I hope they do. But anyway, it would be this thing that happened. I, from my memory, again, memory serves, I think it would happen like twice a year or something, where um, a room in the school would be devoted, or sometimes a, a truck would come by, or like a van would come by, and it would be loaded to bear with books, and you could buy, you know, books, any kind of book you wanted, if you got your money from your parents or whatever, and of course things were like, I do I remember, I think they were like extra cheap, or something like that, but the whole notion, of course, was the school was was trying to get kids to read, that was the whole idea, and, and maybe I guess the, the, the idea behind it was if you let kids pick what they wanted to read, I would encourage them to read more because, you know, they weren't being forced to read, you know, the Pushcart War or something. It was something that a kid picked out uh, themselves. And, of course, when you're young and everything is prescribed for you by your parents, everything is sort of purchased for you, when you get to pick your own thing, that's very, very exciting. So I remember one year. And this had to have been, I guess, uh, eighty or eighty-one. So it wouldn't have been too much longer after uh, the book was published. I found in the Scholastic Book Fair this trade, this little pocket book of the Incredible Hulk, and it features uh, a great cover. Uh, I'm not sure by who. I haven't been able to find out the credits of who did the cover. It looks a little. Maybe John Romita-ish, but i don 't think it is anyway it 's the Hulk smashing through a door, and it says Stanley presents the incredible Hulk star of TV uh, all in full color, uh, and I love classic epics complete and unabridged, and more on that in a moment, but anyway, this was very exciting, and so I used the uh, the cover price here is a dollar ninety five I guess it was a dollar ninety five and I, I bought it and I brought it back to my classroom and I tore into it and part of the the, the appeal of this was of course you know i'm from an age where comic books were still considered pretty much you know trash uh reading and you know teachers and sometimes even your parents although my parents didn't pull this on me but it's, it's a lot of teachers and parents really didn't try to dissuade kids from reading comic books they just thought it wasn't you know worthy reading But here, I was getting to read a comic book sort of under the aegis of a school purchase, and I really did feel like I was getting one over on the school, and that I was getting to read this book in a classroom, and the teacher really couldn't say anything to me about it, because I bought it at the Scholastic Book Fair. Obviously, it was somewhat sanctioned by the school itself, and so, again, I can't say I remember any particular teacher that was really on me about reading comic books, but I know that it wasn't. It wasn't the, you know, they, they didn't love it. And so here I got to read this Hulk paperback in school and it counted as school and it was just so exciting. And I read the book over and over and over again. I mean, part of the appeal was, of course, in an age before to read paperbacks and in an age before, just before comic book stores, at least as far as I knew, uh, when, you know, a comic book went off the stands, it was gone forever. And so all these stories were brand new to me. I had never. Uh, seen them before and again i'm going to get to them in a minute but they reprinted tales to astonish numbers 85 through 99 so you're getting 14 stories in this book uh which is just really really exciting now over the years as my (laughs) eyes have aged a little i do find it a little harder to read these stories in the paperback format i still have the original book i still have that same copy that i bought uh so again it's a little harder for me to read nowadays i i I, if I want to go back and reread these stories, I will go look at a trait, an actual trait, paperback and stuff, as opposed to this pocket edition. But I've also read these stories so many times that I almost don't even have to read the dialogue anymore. and just sort of marvel, no pun intended, or maybe intended, uh, at the artwork uh, because the artwork in here is so beautiful. And again, more on that in a minute. So anyway, it's, it's a really, really handsome book. Of course, again, these were stories uh, in Tales to Astonish when Hulk was sharing that title with the Submariner. Uh, It leads up to issue number 99, as I said, and uh, Tales to Astonish became uh, The Incredible Hulk, I think, as of issue 101. So this was pretty much the end of uh, the Hulk's run as a a co-star, and Marvel realized he was so massively popular, he needed his own title. And because the stories were only half a book length, of course, that allowed Marvel to cram in 14 stories in, like, a 200-page book. And, of course, you got a whole... Uh, A wild swing of stories again I'll get on that in a moment And so he said it it was just a great book But it also did feel just somewhat transgressive And that's the feeling I always get when I look at this book Is just that feeling of like Hey man I'm getting one over on the school And it was just so exciting And of course I love the Hulk i 've covered uh Hulk stories on a couple other of my podcasts and found a previous episode of Find Your Joy as a matter of fact and um, I, you know I grew up with the TV show and I loved the comic. I bought as much Hulk as I could get. I bought Incredible Hulk and Marvel superheroes so I could get Hulk twice a month so it was just so so exciting to see this in a in a paperback form and again it 's a really really Beautiful cover of the Hulk smashing down the store. So um, in addition to the stories, it features uh, two pinups, which I don't think were exclusive or new to the book. I think they're just reprinted. One of them is the Hulk being chased by, like, Thunderbolt Ross and the army, and it says, is this any way to treat a TV star? Which is (laughs) – I just love that. I love how much – uh, Marvel leaned into, of course, you know, the Hulk being on television. He was probably the biggest star they had because, of course, Spider-Man's TV show was only on intermittently, and the Captain America only had TV movies. But Hulk was a genuine TV star, and so it was. It, they, you know, they loved playing that up. Uh, and before I get to the stories, there's one other thing I wanted to mention was I said at the uh, at the beginning of the show that there's this blurb where it says classic epics, complete and unabridged. And that's something I love that Marvel did that. They try to kind of sneak this stuff in because, of course, the word unabridged, you really only think of that word when you're talking about literature. Uh, you know, I mean, there's like those famous Reader's Digest editions of like Tale of Two Cities and Three Musketeers, which have had parts edited out. But like unabridged is the thing that you just talk about when you're talking about books. And here was Marvel selling their old comic books as literature. Uh, that wasn't something that comic books had really thought of doing until Stanley came along. And he was the one who was. Completely unafraid to sort of say, "Hey, this stuff, this stuff is art. This stuff is, you know, novel-length extravaganzas. This stuff is is worthy of consideration. They're called classics. I mean, I think he even had a Marvel's Collectors' Item Classic series, which was reprinting comic books like less than two years old, and they were already called classics. So I love how Marvel snuck the word unabridged in because it's like, well, who, you know, they're going to abridge these Hulk stories? How would you even do that? Um, they're you know, to cut cut out panels. I mean, it doesn't even make any sense. So again, Marvel was trying to. Get Get that, get that word in and let kids know that, hey, this was genuine literature. you know It may not look like it. Your teachers may not think it, but it is genuine literature. And so uh, that is, again, another thing I love about this book so much. So as I said, these stories uh, are from Tales to Astonish, 85 to 99. I'm going to do some brief recaps, and I'm going to group them by artists because, again, as I'll get to in a moment, it was really the art that was so – a uh, revelatory for me when reading these stories. So the first one is Tales to Astonish, uh, number 85. It says, as the Hulk continues to be hounded in New York, Rick Jones drives up the car. He's been hired to run up to the city. What Rick doesn't know is that his employer, a spy named Gorky, has put a device in the trunk of his car that will redirect the Orion missile to hit New York during its t- test at Cape Kennedy. As they launch the missile from the Cape, Gorky is tracked down and arrested, and Rick Jones manages to locate and calm down the Hulk. As Gorky is being arrested, he activates a remote control device that causes the trunk of the car uh, that Jones has traveled in to turn into a robot, of course. Hulk manages to destroy the robot just as the device inside makes the Orion missile change directions and head towards New York. Finding the missile on its path to to New York City, Hulk notices and jumps up to try and stop it. As the Hulk grapples the missile, he transforms back into Bruce Banner. Uh, Very, very exciting. I should mention this story is called The Missile and the Monster. And this this whole run of stories is Hulk in Meteor Res. I mean, we are right in the middle of a story that's already going on. So they chose, I guess, to do this, to, to start the book at this point in the story. I haven't, I actually don't have the first Hulk paperback, so maybe it just continued on from that first selection. Um, this first splash page is, gets by John Buscema drawing kind of a beefy-looking Hulk. It looks kind of like John Goodman. And he's smashing his way through New York City and stuff. And 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 while you do have to kind of catch up a little in terms of the characters, you get a basic sense of, like, okay, what's going on, who these people are, what their relation is to one another. So it's a good place to start uh, as any. So then the next story is uh, Tills to Astonish 86, again by Liam Busema. Bruce Banner is trapped on the Delta missile headed straight for New York. He manages to change the direction of the missile to harmlessly detonate in the ocean. Harmlessly. Not wishing to die, Banner gets worked up enough to transform into the Hulk and survive the blast. Meanwhile, a team of Army police manage to discover one of the leader's hidden bases. It contains a new model humanoid, which is dubbed the Hulk Killer. General Ross demands that the robot be activated. The Hulk Killer proves uncontrollable, and it goes on its own rampage. Elsewhere, the supervillain known as the Boomerang prepares for a rematch with the Hulk. The Hulk, having pulled himself back to land and overhearing the army, bat- army battling the Hulk killer, smashes through the wall to find out what the commotion is. He finds the Hulk killer and is promptly beaten into submission by the humanoid. And said this story is called The Birth of the Hulk Killer. and features a really great splash page of everybody uh, in New York City running for cover. And way off in the background, we just see the missile headed towards him. So it's kind of a, a little bit of a gutsy splash page because... We don't actually. You see the Hulk in very, very tiny figure way in the background. And there's even a movie poster which is now showing Monster something, which I have to think was, uh, you know. Intended. Uh, and then we move on to Tales of Astonish 87. Again, Liam Busema. As the Hulk continues to battle of the Hulk killer, it is learned through interrogation that the Hulk had nothing to do with the missile redirection and that, if anything, he was a hero for saving the city. When news about the Hulk's battle reaches Boomerang, he leaves his hideout to wait to see if the Hulk will win the battle or not. As the Hulk's battle against the humanoid rages on, Rick Jones tries to get involved and is struck down. The Hulk transforms back into Bruce Banner. The Banner comes up with a way to stop the Hulk killer by transforming into the Hulk and attacking the humanoid with a giant electric electrical transformer. This short circuits the Hulk killer, but also knocks the Hulk out. General Ross orders medical help for the Hulk as Boomerang watches on, pleased that the Hulk has survived so that he can get his revenge. And this story is called The Humanoid and the Hero. features another amazing splash page. And again, you'll be able to see a lot of these images on the gallery post for this podcast on fireandwaterpodcast.com. And it's got this great shot of the humanoid, uh, android kind of creature uh, with his hand over Hulk's face and bending him backwards in an almost unnatural way. It's Buscema really at his best at these sort of you know, massive figures in battle. I, I know I say this every time we talk about a John Buscema comic, but I can't help it. It's such an amazing thing to learn that Buscema never really – apparently liked doing superheroes. He was like a guy that wanted to do Conan and he did this stuff just because that was the work that was available. And for him to bring this level of artistry and sophistication and craft to work that he probably didn't even like all that much is uh – real testament to his to his professionalism because it's just it's really amazing work and so i love these first three stories i have to say the boomerang is uh not the most fearsome villain in the in the world uh especially <laughs> the costume that he has is, is one of the more dorkalicious costumes in in all of the uh, superhero uh and so i and it's kind of absurd that he thinks he could take on the Hulk, but nevertheless, uh, the the humanoid guy is great. He's just got this sort of pink fleshy thing, and he's just super, super cool, and I love these stories. Now we're on to the next set of stories, and this is from Tales from Sash 88, and this is by Stanley and Gil Kane, who took over the strip briefly at this point. As the Hulk comes to and is hailed as a hero, the president okays a plan to try and cure Bruce Banner from changing into the Hulk. However, all the media attention upsets the Hulk who bounds away. Stay off Twitter, Hulk. Just before anything can be done, General Ross gets a memo, chain, charging him with the duty of granting the Hulk amnesty once he's confident that the Hulk is no longer a menace. Meanwhile, Boomerang, having watched all of this, follows the Hulk and attacks, hoping to get his revenge. Their battle takes them to a dam, which Boomerang destroys part of, causing the water to flow out of control. With both at risk of drowning, Boomerang asks for the Hulk to take him to safety. As the Hulk jumps to a safe place, he changes back into Bruce boost banner. Unable to hold Boomerang's weight, he is forced to drop Boomerang, who seemingly dies. Not a huge loss, I have to say. Uh, (laughs) Again, uh, and this story is called Boomerang and the Brute. And again, it's the beginning of Gil Kane uh, art on the strip. Again, more on that in a moment. Tales to Astaish '89 is again also by Lee and Kane, and is then. There shall come a stranger. Passed out after his battle with boomerang, Bruce, Bang, Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner. Bruce Banner is captured by the stranger, who, ha- who plans on using the Hulk as his weapon to wipe out humanity, so that any survivors might create a better society. Good plan. Meanwhile, as General Ross continues to use Air Force resources to find the Hulk, Rick Jones cannot find the Hulk either, and asks Ross. Not to kill the Hulk, the stranger takes Banner to a cave where he has set up a device to make him his slave, forcing Banner to change into the Hulk proves to be more trouble as Hulk doesn't want to be made the stranger's slave and attacks the battle is short-lived, and the stranger is able to overpower the Hulk and uses his machine to make the Hulk his slave. The stranger then orders the Hulk to attack humanity, all of humanity. The Hulk, now happy to comply. Bounds off to do his master's bidding. Uh-oh. The next story is The Abomination. I wonder if that's going to come into play. Tales of Astonish number 90 by Lee and Kane. The stranger decides that humanity no longer deserves to live. So he implants a hypnotic command into the Hulk's brain, leading him to seek out and destroy the world's weapons bases. Again, that's a good plan. The stranger leaves Earth and returns to the stars. Gee, thanks, stranger. The Hulk, meanwhile, arrives at a missile base but transforms back into Banner. Fortunately, Banner's mind is not controlled by the Stranger's manipulations. He knows that he will turn back into the Hulk at some point, though, and decides that he must destroy himself or else risk becoming the Stranger's instrument of destruction. It's my great uh, Guns N' Roses album. He heads towards back. He heads back towards the Gamma Base at the compound. General Ross addresses the troops and tells them that a spy has been committing acts of sabotage at the base, and he that he must be found at all costs. After the meeting. Uh, Glenn consults with Betty, who is worried about Bruce. Glenn reminds her that the only thing Banner has ever done for her was break her heart. I don't know if I would trust Glenn on that one there, Betty. Later, a spy named Emil Bronsky disguises himself disguises himself as an MP and finds the laboratory that houses the gamma ray machine. Bruce is inside the lab and has prepped the machine to blast him with a deadly dose of gamma rays. Theoretically, the concentrated gamma energy should be enough to kill even the Hulk. Major Talbot and some soldiers enter the room and grab Banner. They're unaware of Blonsky's presence. As Banner is dragged away, Blonsky decides to activate the machine. He has little idea of what his his true nature is, but he quickly finds out that he is bathed in gamma radiation. The energy transforms Blonsky into a hideous green abomination. He destroys the gamma-ray machine for it overloads his body with radiation. From the window of his holding cell, Banner sees the abomination trashing the laboratory. The tension forces him to transform into the Hulk, and the two gamma-spawn powerhouses begin fighting. Due to the concentrated energy levels provided by the gamma-ray projector, the abomination is actually stronger than the Hulk. He has also the added advantage of maintaining his intellect. The abomination collabors the Hulk with repeated blows across the head until he falls over unconscious. He then turns, scoops up Betty Ross... And leaps away into the sky. The next story is whoever, who's ever harms the Hulk from Tales to Assonish ninety one again by Lee and Kane. General Ross has the Hulk revived after his defeat at the hands of the Abomination. When the Hulk tries to leave, not wanting anyone to do with the, not wanting anything to do with the situation, Rick Jones talks some sense into the Hulk. It works, and the Hulk changes back into Banner. Banner uses the device to pull the Abomination back to Gamma Base, transforming back into the Hulk. Banner battles the Abomination once again. This time, the Hulk gains the upper hand. Realizing that the abomination uh, is the is the ally he seeks, the stranger teleports the abomination away. After the battle, everyone wonders what to do with the Hulk. However, the Hulk has other ideas. He wants to be left alone, and so he leaves. And that issue is the end of the Gil Kane run on Tales to Astonish. I don't think Gil Kane ever had a regular run on Hulk past these four issues. I don't think he ever drew the book in a, in a regular manner. I know he certainly drew the Hulk in different you know, guest star, Marvel team-ups, and Avengers probably, and things like that. But as far as I know, this is the only time Gil Kane was a regular artist on The Hulk. And man, do I love Gil Kane's Hulk. He really gives Hulk this kind of very bulky, massive frame. I mean, not that other artists didn't, certainly. Uh, Todd McFarlane or Steve Ditko or John B. Simmons we just talked about. But there's just something about the way Gil Kane gives Hulk like this blocky, squared off appearance, his hair is almost kind of mo like from the Three Stooges, which I, I sort of like, and he really fills the frame, like the, the Hulk feels so massive that he's popping out of the panel borders, and then in the uh, the fight sequence, again, which I'll sh- we'll have up on the, uh, the website, where it's just a bunch of punches where the Hulk and the Abomination are beating the crap out of each other, and zuck, spoof, Batum, brack, it's, the energy is just bursting, uh, out of the uh, out of the seams out of the panel borders and later in in the, in the earlier installment where the hulk is um knocked out and the uh, bunch of army soldiers had to pick him up there's this great panel where the hulk is being draped across like the shoulders of like six army men because he's so massive and just kane was just i thought so good at conveying the hulk's massive size and just what a lumbering giant he was and this was I, I, probably the only time you – know, the first time I'd ever seen Gil Kane drawing the Hulk outside of like a cover, and I just fell in love with it. And I look at these stories. I love the way they're colored. There's beautiful candy colors. I love that the uh, Hulk and Abomination are kind of this lime green sort of thing. Uh, I just – I love these. These four stories, because they're drawn by Gil Kane, are some of my favorite Hulk stories of all time. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't hurt that it's the introduction of the Abomination, which is one of the Hulk's greatest foes. Uh, I mean, obviously, he can't go to that well too many times, or have you have you know, so many people get gamma-radiated, because after a while, it loses its specialness, and you had the leader was a gamma-radiated character, and I know they've done some others. But for the most part, I liked the, the uniqueness of the Abomination. I liked his design. I liked the idea that he was even sort of more monstrous. I mean, kind of a trade-off, and then he retained his intelligence, but he's much more of a monstrous figure than the He's got, like, two toes on each foot, and he's got, like, the the weird bat wings for ears and the sort of uh, weird, you know, alien-type face. Uh, It looks like something out of Star Trek almost, or the Scions, really, over from uh, DC Comics. I just... These stories, I just absolutely love them. I love that we even get a, a – we talk about the uh, the president puts in an order. We literally see him, and they don't uh, – we even get an appearance by Lyndon Johnson uh, in this comic. So we got to deal with the Hulk. Um, so these – again, I love these stories, and these four – I mean, I love all the stories in this book, but these four were really the bedrock of why I love this book so much. And I just – I could stare at Gil Kane's Hulk all day, and I feel, I feel bad that he only did it for these four issues. I mean, he obviously had great runs on a lot of other books, but man, I just loved, loved, loved his Hulk. And it fills me with, yes, joy every time I look at him because I just think it's, it's just so beautiful to look at. So now we're moving on to Tales of Astonish 92 which is by again by Stan Lee, this time now uh, drawn by the late great uh, Marie Severin. With the entire world, world on the lookout for either Hulk or Bruce Banner, Banner himself has gone into hiding and disguises himself when out in public. Having gotten an apartment in New York, <laughs> first month, last month, Banner has collected together parts needed to build a device that would bombard him with gamma radiation in the hopes that it will finally cure him being the Hulk good luck with that. However, after the experiment, Banner once more turns into the Hulk. The Hulk bursts out of the apartment, oops, and tries to find a safe place to hide. Hopping through the city, the Hulk begins hoping to find a way off the planet. He spots what he thinks is a spaceship and tries to stop it, realizing too late that who he had tried to stop was none other than the Silver Surfer. Making the Surfer land, the Surfer introduces himself to the Hulk. Tales to Astonish 93 by, again, Lee and Sever. By the way, the the first story was called The Turning Point. The next one is called He Who Strikes the Silver Surfer. Uh, The Hulk, thinking the Silver Surfer was an alien spaceship, has forced the Surfer to land. Now the Hulk has demanded that the Surfer take him away from Earth to find a new home where he won't be hounded. Unaware that the Surfer is unable to leave the Earth, the Hulk attacks when the Surfer refuses to help the Green Goliath. The two end up in a battle, the Hulk trying to gain control of the Surfer's board. However, the attempt is futile, and while the Hulk is durable enough to withstand the Surfer's attack, nothing he can do to get the Surfer's board to follow his commands. The police soon show up as the Surfer makes his escape and try to keep the Hulk at bay hey, that's a good phrase the Hulk at bay uh, with flamethrowers until the military arrives. Feeling pity towards the Hulk, the Surfer frees him, but one, when he once again tells the Hulk he cannot bring him into outer space, the Hulk attacks him in a fury once again. This time, the battle ends with the Hulk being knocked unconscious. Using his power cosmic to probe the Hulk's mind, he learns of Banner's curse. Attempting to use his power cosmic to cure the Hulk, Hulk awakens and believes the Surfer is attacking him and fights him off, forcing the Surfer to flee. The Hulk, alone once more, realizes his rage prevented him from leaving the Earth Next up is Tales of Astonish, 94, to the beckoning stars. Wandering the countryside, the Hulk is spotted by some hunters who have been charged with collecting animals and sending them to the high evolutionary, of course, who has since set up his operations on a new world called Wondagore 2. The evolutionary has been trying to solve the problem of his new men who have been becoming more feral and animal-like and revolting against his rule. Learning of the Hulk's presence near the Hunters, the High Evolutionary orders them to capture the Hulk with the weapons he provided them with as the Hulk may prove the key to solving his problem. The Hunters succeed in knocking the Hulk out with their gas guns and load him up on the ship that the Evolutionaries provided for them. After launching, they destroy the Evolutionary's equipment as per his instructions. The ship is piloted by Sir Ram, one of the new men, still loyal to the High Evolutionary. And Ram checks over the latest specimen for his master. The Hulk revives and strikes Sir Ram, knocking him out. The Hulk finds himself on a ship in deep space, not even knowing where he is going. Next up is Tales of Science ninety five, a world he never made, which features a really beautiful splash page. Again, you'll see it on the website by Marie Severin of the Hulk on the uh, the deck of the ship with this massive window looking out. It's uh, something the Enterprise would uh, would envy. It's such a really beautiful shot, and again, the Hulk the Hulk in space is not something you saw a lot of. So it's 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 just a nice change of scene, and it's amazing to think that like just. Seven stories ago, he was in New York. I mean, that's how fast this story is changing. He's already now in outer space. So uh, in this story, en route to the planet Wondagore 2 to be used as a solution to the rebellion of the Knights of Wondagore, the Hulk is completely unaware that he is to be used as a pawn for the High Evolutionary. With Sermon Ram knocked out, the Evolutionary tries to warn the ship uh, that they are about to fly into a cosmic radiation storm to no avail. When Sir Ram revives and realizes the truth, it is too late and the entire ship is bombarded with radiation. The resulting bombardment kills Siram and causes Hulk to transform back into Bruce Banner. When the ship arrives on Wendigore 2, the High Evolutionary is shocked to find the Banner instead of the Hulk. However, the Evolutionary realizes he can still use Banner to solve his problem. Distracting Banner by showing them his scientific equipment, the evolutionary uses a weapon to knock out Banner and place him on a machine that will advance Banner's evolution by 10 million years so that he can use the advanced being against the invading knights of Wondagore. Tales to Astonish 96, What Have I Created? Which is another splash page. It does not feature the Hulk at all. It just features all of the, the, the uh, armed people from the High Evolutionary's uh, creations charging at him. Again, you wouldn't even know this is a Hulk story uh, in any way. It, doesn't even, it says the Hulk at the top, but otherwise, it's like, wow, we, where are we here? So in this story, with the Knights of Gore storming the High Evolutionary Citadel, the Evolutionary himself is attempting to advance Bruce Banner's evolution by 10 million years. However, it is too late to complete the experiment as the knights storm the citadel and attack the evolutionary. Believing that Banner can become the Hulk at will, the evolutionary frees Banner and demands that he save him. Banner finds himself outmatched and is soon attacked by one of the knights. During the altercation, Banner is excited enough to cause his transformation into the Hulk, and he does battle with the Knights of Wendegor. He battles off the Knights of Wondergor with relative ease. However, the Hulk is still outnumbered, and the mortally wounded high evolutionary decides to subject himself to the very experiment that he had intended for Banner the experiment of success, the evolutionary has his evolution sped up for 10 million years and transforms into a godlike entity, maybe like a star child. Before he becomes one with the universe, the evolutionary uses his powers to charge the Knights of Wendegore back into their original evolution and returns the Hulk to Earth. Uh, I joked in the story about the the star child, but I have to think – wonder – these stories came out in like 1968-69. And right around the same time was Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey where – they, the astronaut Bowman becomes a star child and sort of evolves into the next uh, form of life in, in, uh, in, in, in our reality. So I have to wonder if Stanley saw the movie and thought, oh, I could, I could use that for my whole comic. I mean, why not? Next up is Tales of Bustonish, number 97, The Legions of the Living Lightning by me, uh, Stanley, and Marie Severn. Back on Earth, the Hulk bounds across the countryside where he accidentally crashes into a low-flying airplane. Checking the wreckage, he finds the plane's sole occupant injured and administers for his aid to him. How does he do that? The pilot then tells the Hulk of his friends the lords of the living lightning and asks the hulk to go to their meeting place he does so and upon landing at the site the lord's secret base he activates a giant lightning machine it's right in the name meanwhile rick jones and the teen brigade continue to search for the hulk general ross calls in glenn talbot and reassigns him to deal with the lords of the Living lightning as the hulk has not been seen in some time a decision doesn't sit well with talbot Can't blame Glenn there. It's a bit of a demotion. Meanwhile, the Hulk manages to disable the lightning device and is soon greeted by the members of the living lightning. The leader of the Lords offer the Hulk friendship and convince the Hulk that they are working to end all war on Earth. Later that night, Talbot finds their secret base and finds himself captured by the Lords when they find him. Taken before the Hulk, the leader of the lords tell the Hulk that Talbot is their enemy, and they tell the Hulk to go and destroy the Air Force base, a command the enraged Hulk complies with. Finally, the the army's going to get what's coming to them. Next up is uh, Puppet and the Power from Tales of Assange number 98 by Lee and Severin. Tricked into doing bidding of the Lords of the Living Lightning, the Hulk attacks the Air Force base. General Lost begins a counterattack, but not before confining Betty to quarters that she is not put at risk during the counterattack against the Hulk. He could just let her leave. While the army is otherwise busy dealing with contact containing the Hulk, the lords are able to storm the base and take Betty hostage, see, and force General Ross to surrender his base over to them while at the same time, the Hulk is knocked out by a powerful gas. In order to ensure continued cooperation with General Ross, the leader of the Lords of the Living Lightning, that's fun to say, shows Ross that they have locked his daughter Betty in the same cell as the Hulk, who is just now reviving from the knockout gas, which leads to the next story in Tales to Astonish, number 99. It features When the Monster Wakes, which is a truly great splash page by Marie Severin, of Betty in the cell with the Hulk, which, again, has got to be, Pretty terrifying if you've ever read the Ultimates. Uh, so in Tales of the Sun, number 99 by Leon Severin, While Betty, with Betty locked up with the Hulk, the leader of the Lords of Lightning hopes that it will prove to be a bargaining chip to force General Ross to do his bidding. However, when the Hulk revives, he remembers Betty as a friend, and Betty begins trying to talk the Hulk into he- helping free the base. Members of the Lords of Lightning storm into the room and blast the Hulk with their lightning weapons, causing him to change back into Banner, and Betty faints. Meanwhile, Glenn Talbot manages to overpower one of the guards and take on his guys, while the rest of the Lords flee the Air Force base and enact the next, pair, next part of their plan. Talbot rounds up Banner, Betty, and General Ross. Banner appeals to Ross that the Hulk is the only one powerful enough to stop the Lords of the Living Lightning, who are now getting ready to deploy their stockpile of missiles at their secret base. Using a duplicate of his old gamma-ray device, Bruce bombards himself with gamma radiation once more, transforming, triggering his transformation into the Hulk. The Hulk then leaps... To the lords of the Living Lightning's base and attacks them head on, causing their missiles to detonate within the base, destroying it totally, seemingly killing all the lords, and leaving everyone to believe that the Hulk is dead as well. And this story ends with an amazing panel this little inset where the the plane is flying away and they say, Let's head back. Nothing that lives could have survived that blast. Nothing. And then there's a shot all in a monochrome, blue monochrome, of the Hulk buried under rubble. And it says, The end? Mm Now, of course, this was not the end. The story continued on in the very next issue of Tales to Astonish, which was actually a full length story combining the Hulk and Submariner stories, uh, prepping the way for Submariner to get his own title and for Tales to Astonish to become the Incredible Hulk. Uh, but I didn't know that really at the time. Of course, these were all comics that had come and gone before I got here. So the fact that this book ends on such a cliffhanger was great. I remember, again, being like nine years old and being so excited. Like, oh, my God, how did the Hulk get out of this one? I mean, I knew that he did because I was reading contemporary Hulk comics. But still, it was an exciting way to end the book. And like I said – so this, these are a really great bunch of stories. And it says something about Stanley's ingenuity that most of these stories, uh, Abomination, accepted – really feature at best sea level hulk villains and you've got the stranger the boomerang the l- lords of the living lightning uh you know i mean i guess maybe the high evolutionary is a, l- a little bit higher on the wrong no pun intended than that but for the most part these are not a-list hulk villains it's not leader it's not rhino or whatever and nevertheless these stories are i at least think they are wonderfully compelling they're really exciting they move at an amazing clip I mean again in just the space of these 14 stories Hulk has gone from you know, all the way to New York, into outer space, and then back down to Earth. He's met the Silver Surfer. He's fought the Abomination. I mean, this thing moves like a movie serial, like a really high-budget movie serial, and they're just so wonderfully exciting. The colors are beautiful. I mentioned on the, the final page, that same page where the Hulk is buried under rubble, there's a great shot by Maurice Everton of the Hulk just sort of floating in, uh, amid the explosion, like he's just in midair, and he's colored in these reds, yellows, and oranges with this magenta background, a kind of like a kirby Crackle pattern in the back. And it's just, again, it's a beautiful image. And I just, I don't know, I love these stories to death. I've read a lot of great Hulk comics over the years. But in some ways, nothing will ever beat this run of stories for me because of when I discovered them. Again, getting to buy the book as like a little trade paperback, getting to buy it at school, uh, which again felt like a strike against the man even at, at that age. I was interested in such things. Uh was just so exciting. And I should probably find that first Hulk paperback and pick that one up just so I can have the in both books. So they, they didn't continue. This was the only two Hulk uh, – Pocket books that they did so they never continued on the stories after this but uh, man I really love this book and it kind of makes me want to find some of the other trades other pocketbooks as well the spider woman the captain america the doctor strange as I mentioned at the top of the show I am just such a sucker for alternate formats and I love seeing these books like this with these beautiful sometimes painted covers not all of them had painted covers this one does not but man this is just such a great book and it gives me uh, there it is joy uh, every time I read it, and every time I just sort of scan it, and it brings me right back to those days of just when you could find something like this, and it was just so, so very exciting. So I love this book. I absolutely love it. It's again, it's some of my favorite Hulk stories, and it it brings me joy every time I read it. So um, as I mentioned, you can see a bunch of images from these stories on the website, which is Fire and Water podcast.com and i would love to hear if you've read these stories if you have any of the marvel pocketbooks if you do i'd love to know which ones you have and what you think of them like, and they're they're uh, they're they look really fun i kind of also want to read the spider woman one just because again i i sort of appreciate how much marvel was trying to like push her i know that a lot of it had to do with you know just a copyright claim but nevertheless uh, i i think it's fun that spider woman got her her own paper bag alongside these huge Marvel stars, uh, you know, as opposed to say, you know, the X-Man or Daredevil or somebody like that. But anyway, uh, I think that is going to do it for this installment of find your joy. Like I said, this book does bring me a whole, whole lot of joy. And so I hope you enjoyed, uh, listening to me talk about them. So again, if you want to leave a comment, go to the website, fire and water that, And that's going to do it for now. I'm sure one of the other guys from the network will be back with a find your joy before you know it. So uh, thanks everybody for listening and uh, we will see you later. Bye. Bruce Banner, dumped it by gamma rays.